But we do it every day. We wait in line at the grocery store checkout counter, at the doctor's office, um, at airport securities, at, um, um, at you know, when, when we're on the phone, um, on hold, waiting for customer service to pick up. We wait uh, at the traffic stop, at, you know, for the red lights. Now, I once wondered, how much time does an average person spend waiting? And you know, I looked it up on the internet, and there's a website that actually had something to say about it. So the website is called www.thefactsite.ca or .com, and that website claims that an average person spends five years of their life, entire life, waiting. And in those five years, six months is, is spent at a stop site, at, a, at, a, at stoplights. Isn't that crazy? If I lived 80 years in this world, five of those years I'll spend waiting. Waiting is a fact of life. And Christians... As Christians, our Lord himself told us that that's one of our calling, is waiting and being prepared. Last week, our brother Vince talked to us about the parable of the ten virgins. And he talked to us about this. He said that as sure as the Lord is coming, we will be waiting for him to come. And while we wait, it is not the time to procrastinate. It's not the time to fall asleep. It's not the time to uh, abandon effort or action. That's what happened to the ten virgins, remember? The ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, but five of them were wise. They were uh, alert, they were watching, and they filled their lamps with oil. But five of them were foolish. They were asleep. They were not prepared with oil. And last week as well, we were reminded that being ready and, uh, um, and uh, ready as we wait for God, for Jesus to come back, is equivalent to being prepared. But this morning, I would like to ask the question, what does it mean to be prepared? What does being prepared look like? So that's the question that uh, we would like to ask. And as we continue with our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, we are going to look at a parable this morning that will answer that question. And that parable is called the parable of the talents. In the parable of the talents, uh, we, will, uh, we will have for an objective this morning to look into what Jesus says we ought to do in order for us to be prepared for when he comes back. Right? I think that's a really important topic that we need to talk about today because a lot of times, you know, as we wait for him to come back, we forget about it. Like, what are we here for? You know, and then we get distracted and we know we're distracted when we're doing something in our life today that would cause us to be ashamed in front of our Lord when he comes back. And when that happens, we know, you know, if that's the case right now with, with us, we know that we need to change something. And with this particular parable in mind, we are going to look into ways in which we can be prepared. So let's, let's do that. And as what we've done in the past, we're going to divide our lesson in two. We're going to talk about the earthly story, the actual parable itself, 
and then we'll apply it to our lives as we look at the heavenly meaning. So let's look at that. The earthly story. Um, the parable starts in Matthew 25, verse 14. But remember, this is shortly after, like literally, Matthew 25, verse 13 was the end of the parable of the ten virgins. So Jesus tells us, be prepared. And then he starts with this parable to tell us, this is how you, this is how you will be prepared. Okay? So let's start. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. Back then, uh, masters of estates or men who are really wealthy with, with servants would uh, oftentimes entrust their property to stewards or to their servants or slaves. But they would have to trust them. That's, that's, that's the key. And in verse 15, we'll see what this man entrusted to his servants. So in verse 15, we read, To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The first time I read this parable uh, when I was younger, I thought, man, that's, that's not fair. Just one talent? It's not a lot. But if you really think about it, back then when Jesus told this to the people, they knew exactly what a talent was. Today we use the word talent to say our skills or abilities. But back then when you say a talent, it's a, it's a, it's a unit of measure for money. Uh, one talent back then, uh, you're seated, that's good. One talent was 6,000 denarii. Do you guys remember what a denarius was, right? One denarius is equivalent to one day's wage. So one talent is 6,000 of them. 6,000 days worth of work. One talent is equivalent to 20 years of work. And it's not even a monetary thing. It's a time thing. Depending on how much you earn a day, you will have to work for 20 years to earn that. One talent. So this individual with one talent has a lot of money. Like, if you, I think if my math serves me right, if you earn today, today's money, if you earn a minimum wage, is about five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars $600,000. But that's just minimum wage. If you make more, it's millions, right? So think about that. Five talents, two talents and one talent. The master gave to three of his servants that he trusted a lot of money. Now, in the next two verses, we're going to see what these people, what these servants did with their money that the, their, their master entrusted to them. So we talked about the talents. There you go. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So we need to understand here that the first two servants doubled what was entrusted to them. But think about it. It's not said here, but if you think about the logistics of doubling millions and millions of dollars, that's a lot of work. Maybe they tried and they failed here and they failed there and they succeeded here and they succeeded there, but there's a lot of work that had to go into that. But the key that I want to, I want you to realize in this is these two servants did it at once. There's no twiddling thumbs. There's no going, ah, I'll wait. They did it at once. Because time 
as you know, when you think about the time value of money, when you think about investments, time is money, right? So they bid it at once because they wanted to take advantage of the opportunities that they have with time. So now it's a different story with the last servant. The last servant, the third servant, did this. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his money there. Hid his master's money there. Okay? The key is that he hid it. So, long story short, the master who left on that journey, after he's entrusted his property to his three servants, came back after a long journey. So, he comes back and he wants to make an accounting of what his servants did with his property. Okay? Like what we do when we invest our own money or when we come back and we ask somebody to take care of our house. We want to see what happened, right? This is what the master did. So um, the first servant said, Master, see, you gave me five talents and now I, I used it, I worked it, I traded it, and guess what? I made you five more talents. Here is your money, ten talents in total. Millions and millions of dollars. Right? So what did the master tell him? This is what the master told him. His master said to him in verse 21 of Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now the second servant did the same thing. said, Master, you gave me two talents. I made two more. Here's four talents back. And then he said the exact same thing in verse 23 to the second servant. And what I want us to realize in this verse is this. The sound of our Lord, of their master, telling this to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. But it's a different story with the third servant. The third servant uh, differed in his approach as he gave an accounting of what he has done with the money, right? The two servants, the first two servants were all about results. But the third servant was different. The first thing that came out of his mouth was excuses. Here's where, 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 where he's at. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That's what he did. He had an excuse. And this is what he said to his master. I knew you to be a hard man. My understanding of you is that you are a man who is not just. But we know from the parable that this is not so. Trading and, and putting your money in business is not, is not reaping where you did not sow and not gathering where you scattered no seed. Right? That, is, that was his money. And that was his servants. It was fair for him to do that. And we know that he's not a hard man because when his two servants came back to him and said, I doubled your money, he said, come in. I know you're my slaves, but come in into my joy. Come in into my happiness. I'm going to share it with you. But this individual had a different understanding of his master. And because of that, 
it uh, affected how he served his master. This is how he served his master, with fear. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid. Look at that. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now what did the master say about that? The master said this. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Look at that. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I had where I scattered no seed. That was a question. That was not a statement. This is what you thought of me? Well, if that's the case, then you should have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. A lot of times we think, well, that's just too harsh. How can you say that this person who is lazy is also wicked? You know what wicked means? It's evil from the devil. Bad. How can you equate lazy and evil? You know, but he did. The master did. Laziness is evil. Laziness is wicked. And we think, well, what did, what did the servant do? The servant did not waste his money. The servant didn't go, oh, I have a million dollars. What can I buy with it? How many craft dinners can I buy with this? <laughs> right? Like, how many PlayStation games can I buy with this? How many cars can I buy? No, he didn't say that. He said, well, I'm just going to hide it. See, the problem with the third servant was not that he wasted the money. Is he wasted the opportunity. Imagine for yourself, if you had some money, you went to a bank and talked to an investment banker and said, I have this money, I want you to invest it. And then you leave. And I want it long term, right? So when I retire, I'll have money. And then five years later, you see the economy just booming. But the sixth year went down, but seventh year, tenth year, fifteenth year was just going up and going up and going up. And you're so happy. I know that I'm going to retire well because I invested my money, right? And then your retirement is done. Twenty years, you go back to the bank and go, yes, can I have my money, please? Because I'm retired and I'm done. And the investment banker goes, oh, yeah, your money. Uh, listen. What I did with your money was I put it in my, in, in, in my, in, 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 like I put it underground. I didn't do anything with it. All those years the economy was doing well, you did not do anything with my money? That's the equivalent to this. But sometimes when we read this, it's like, that is so harsh. Poor servant. That's his job as a slave. He was given that, that was his employment. He's not, if you don't, do not do, if you're an investment banker and you don't invest, what are you? Right? So, um, what did the master do to this person? This is what the master did to the person. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then the ultimate destiny of this individual was this. 
cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at that investment banker. That was a useless worker right there. That's your job to invest. This was his job to do, and he didn't do it. So he was deemed worthless, and he was cast out. Now, that's that's the parable right there. It was a short parable, but very impactful. But now, how do we apply that to our lives today? There's a lot of um, there's a lot of heavenly meaning tied to this particular parable. But this morning, for our purposes, I would like to bring up two. This is the first one that I want to bring up. In the parable of the ten virgins, or ten bridesmaids, or the wise and foolish virgins, we are told to be prepared. And we, again, we heard that from Vince last week during his sermon. He told us to be prepared. And that's what he admonished us to, to do. But we asked the question this morning as we started this uh, lesson. What is it to be prepared? What does it mean? Right? In the parable that we just see, that we just saw, to be prepared. And this is, the, this is if you're going to get something from this lesson today, this is it. To be prepared is to be productive. To be prepared is to be productive. You know, um, our Lord told us to be productive, but he didn't say just, okay, just be productive. He gave us everything that we need to do to be productive. In the parable, we see that he gave each individual, each of his servants, a talent, a sum of money, a huge sum of money. It's the same thing with us today. We have been given, each of us, gifts. But the question is, what are those gifts? And what do we do with those gifts? Right? We don't, we don't just come here to consume. We come here to serve. You know, that's what Jesus did. Matthew twenty twenty eight. what did Jesus do when he came to earth? The Son of Man did not come to be served. So for all of us here, we don't come just to be served. But in Matthew twenty twenty eight. It reads further, the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to give. Being productive, the call for us today to be like Jesus is to serve and to give. To serve with what? To give what? Well, we saw that in the parable, but Peter Peter made it clear to us. Each of you should use whatever gift you have, you have received, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, each of us has received a gift. It could be your health, your physical bodies, your voice, your intellect, your particular talent in, 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 in a certain uh, realm or so, certain field, your skills, your abilities, your time, your money, your relationships, your schooling, your work, your career, your money, your car, your house, and you know what? Your children. God has given all of these 
so that we can use them. For what? For our own selves? For our own entertainment? For our own enjoyment? For our own security? To serve others. This is the calling. And for as long as I am alive, I will preach that this is what we are here to do. To serve. And many of the things that we struggle with in this world could be sorted out just by fulfilling what God has intended for each of us to be and to do in this life. To serve. Because when we serve, we forget about ourselves. And that's what we worry about is ourselves. That's what we think about is ourselves. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I am not there yet. Oh, I'm this and I'm that. But if we prepare our minds to serve, many of the things that we struggle with are just going to be like, wow, gone. And the key to this is to being stewards of what we have. Now, listen to this. What is the opposite of a steward in terms of an attitude about a Christian? So on this particular side, we're being stewards, but there's this particular side where we are not being stewards. We're being owners. So in my mind, the opposite of being steward is being an owner. Do you guys see the difference? God has given us all these things that we can use for him to serve him. If we act as, serve, as, 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 as stewards, we're going to think, I don't own these. This is not mine. My money, my time, my physical fitness, my health, this is not mine. This belongs to him. And he wants me to invest it in what is important to him, not to me. So I'm going to use it so for when he comes back, I can report to him with joy that, look, Lord, I have done your bidding. But there's this opposite side here where I'm, my attitude is, I own these things. I come here and I go, I put something in an envelope and I go, God, this is yours. I'm going to be here for two hours, maybe an hour and a half, and that's it, God. That's what I'm going to give you. Because the rest, that's mine. You're not touching any of that. That's mine. And then next week, I'll give you what's due you again. And then the week after that and the week after that. But apart from that, this is, this is mine. You can't touch that. I can't have you meddling with that because that's my stuff. That's not the right attitude. That is misusing what God has given us. We need to be able to think that we are stewards and not owners. Okay, And an important thing about our gift as well is we are all being given different gifts. That's why it says various forms right there. Various forms of grace. You know, Chad has a really amazing voice. I don't have that. Right? Uh, if, if I led singing, I'm telling you, it's not going to be good for the congregation. <laughs> right? But all of us here, think about this worship service. All of us have a hard hand in this. Like a lot of times people think, well, if I'm sitting there, that means I'm the audience. You know who the audience here is? There's one audience. God. We are here to worship Him. He's watching. You guys are not watching. 
you're worshiping him. He's watching you. All of us have a part in this. Not just the song leader or the preacher or the person doing this or the people passing, the people who made the emblems, right? The people who are working the sound system. All of us have a hand in this. When we sing, when we pray, when we, when we participate in the worship. But um, sometimes, like I said earlier, just serving just makes our life that much better and sorts out a lot of our problems. You know, there's a story. Uh, I, I heard the story while I was in university, and I heard the story every time I went on a continuous quality improvement workshop or, or conference. And it's, it's an amazing story. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's interesting. So uh, back when uh, elevators were just becoming popular and high-rise buildings are becoming taller and taller, back then it was like seven floors and that's it before the elevators were invented. But now the elevator has come into the scene and high-rise buildings are popping up everywhere. There was this one building, high-rise building in New York. It was a, it was a, a, a multi-story um, office building. Um, and the, the business tenants there uh, were complaining to the manager saying, the elevator is taking so long. We don't want to wait too long. And if it doesn't improve, we're going to break our lease and we're going to go somewhere else to do our business. So the manager thought, well, I got to sort this out. So he commissioned a study. He called in engineers to talk to, to see where, if they could improve the elevator. Right? So the engineers came back and said, we can't. It's going to cost more than this building because the building is old. It's going to cost more than this building to sort out your, your elevator system. It's not feasible. Your tenants and you just have to like bear the wait times. So the manager was desperate. So he called in his guys. Guys, we need to think about this. And, uh, want, um, um, and, and what they did was they thought about it in a way like, what was the actual problem? Why are they complaining about the wait times? They, they, they actually timed the wait times. The elevators were coming five minutes, six minutes, and that's it. But people are complaining about that. And they, they figured out that they were not really complaining because of the wait times. They're complaining because they were bored. You're waiting there for five minutes doing nothing. You don't know when it's coming. You're going to be bored. So now when you go to an, to elevators, what do you guys see everywhere? Like at the elevator door. So when you go to an elevator, what do you see around you? Mirrors. So what these guys did, the management, you know what they did? They said, let's install mirrors. Because these people just need something temporary to occupy them with while they wait. So they installed mirrors. And guess what? The complaint stopped. The complaint stopped. Because they just needed something to do. You know what? It's the same thing in our service to God, in our life here on earth. When we wait for God and we wait, we wait, we get distracted, we wait. And well, what are we doing? Many of our problems will be sorted out if we don't look inside of us. If we look outside of us and use what we have to give and to serve. But sometimes it's like, well, when I win the lottery, this is what I'm going to do. But you know what? If we are not serving now with what we have, when we win the lottery, we are not going to serve with what we have. 
We're not going to do it. Remember, who is the top 2% of the rich people in the world? You know who they are? You guys are, are, you guys are looking at them. We are here, the top 2% of the rich people in the world. You have tap water in your house? You're part of the 2%. You have a bathroom in your house? You're part of the 2%. You have heat in your house? You're part of the 2%. Car to you? You have cars? Because it's like a necessity here? You're part of the 2%. If we wait for God to give us more, you know, we will not do. We will not do. We will just be inwardly looking to ourselves and thinking, I can't serve. I can't be a steward. I must be an owner. I can't part with what I have. I have to keep it for me. Right? So, one thing is for sure though. In Second Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's all, it all depends on us. You know, one of the things that we struggle with as well is sometimes, well, if you really can't do it, maybe somebody else can do it. It's fine, right? But we need to use what we have. Like, in, in, in terms of what you just said there, I remember my dad, uh, when we came to Canada, I was showering, and I was just so happy. I didn't realize that I could sing in the shower very well as well. I was singing in the shower, and I was so proud of myself. And then my dad poked his head in and said, you singing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a hidden talent. I was like, yeah, I do. And then you know what he said next? Before he left the washroom, he said, keep it hidden. <laughs> but you know what? That, that aside, you know, there's things that we want to do, but we're not good at it. It's, it's fine. Keep doing the best that you can. And maybe talk to somebody who's really good at it and learn from them. Or just let them do it. But sometimes we leave it at that. I'm not good at it, so somebody else will do it. Remember, we must all appear before Christ one day. And it's up to us. If we are going to be ashamed of ourselves, or if we are going to be like the first two servants going, hey, look what you gave me, and this is what I've done. Because of you, because of what you have done for me. And at the end, and this is the last one I talked to you about, at the end is, I want us to focus on this. Only a few minutes on this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that like just music to your ears? Remember, the master did not tell his servants, well done, good and intelligent servant. He didn't say, well done, good and distinguished servant. I'm not distinguished. I'm not intelligent. But I do what I can. It is the same thing with all of you. Right? The hand cannot say to the foot, you're useless because you can't grab things. Or the eye can be jealous to the hand and say, well, I'm jealous because you can grab things. The eye has his own thing that he needs to do to see. It's the same thing with us. Well done, good and faithful servant, is something that each individual person here We'll have to identify what that looks like for your relationship with God. So when we do that, 
we're really telling ourselves, we're really telling God, God, make me a servant. God, use this body to serve you. Use this body and make me the temple that you said you were gonna, you're going to make me. Make me your sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. You know, as we stand, because we're going to sing that song, I want you to focus on that part of the song where it says, well done, faithful servant, well done. And again, the question. This is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to sing. And I want you to think about this as you go home today, as you start your work week. How are you using your gifts to serve? Thank you for being here. Thank you.